cliffcentral.com. All right. It is time for us to go to the burning platform for today. Of course, every week there's something in breaking news, but today, <laughs> today is especially warm. I'm also thrilled that we're able to bring you, quite apart from the, the, the current affairs situation, which is as hot as hell, we're also bringing you one of the most consequential authors of our time, one of South Africa's best investigative reporters and someone who has been no stranger to controversy and someone who's done a lot of the heavy lifting and the yeoman's work when it comes to South Africa and trying to understand the disastrous corruption of the last 10 years, 12 years, however many years it's been. Uh, he is Jacques Poe, who I'm thrilled to say is joining us this morning, live to discuss his new book called Our Poisoned Land, Living in the Shadows of Zuma's Keepers. Also, the full uh, coterie of uh, of people on the burning platform this morning, our own Pumi Mashiko, as ever, and Canton Pele this morning too. Pumi and Canton for a, a proper uh, Christmas-style show to start December. Um, and let's just turn our attention right up front to what happened yesterday. Uh, Jacques, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Jacques Poe, well done on the new book. Uh, congratulations. How How is the new book being received? <laughs> Well, they were they, they they were obviously a mixed mixed reaction to the book. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the book had hardly hit the shelves, or we we received a letter from Julius Malema, yes, um, ordering us to remove the book from the shelves by five o'clock that afternoon, saying that if we don't remove the book, he will uh, he will um, exercise all his legal options, which might include. Um, an urgent Attacking. application to remove the book. Yeah. Now, since then, we haven't heard from Mr. Malema at all, which is very strange. You know, it's two weeks later. He hasn't sued for defamation. <laughs> he hasn't released a statement again. Um, and we were utterly surprised because both Malema and his, uh, his sugar daddy, uh, Adriano Mazzotti, are known to be to be very eager litigants. Mm. Um, none oh. of them have sued us for defamation. Um, Mazzotti has threatened to sue me for defamation for years and years and years. Absolutely nothing has happened. And I think, you know, people, people, people must draw well, their own conclusions. Well, what now is... you're going to have a launch. They might still a... show up at the launch. <laughs> You know, you know, we had a we had sort of a closed launch, um, sort of like what probably ten days ago. You know, when I when I published um, the President's Keepers, there were absolute mayhem during the launches, especially mm. the one in Johannesburg. And not only were were um, exclusive books hesitant to have an open launch where everybody is is welcome to attend. But we decided this time we're going to have a close launch. We're going to broadcast it live, which we did, mm-hmm. um, and all went went very well. You know, I'm not I'm not one to I'm not one for publicity. I I never want to go through what I went through in well, uh, November, I mean, Jacques, December 20, it's, 2017. It's, it's, it's worth reflecting. I mean, your first chapter basically you 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 explain the situation of your of your last book launch. You take tweets from people. You discuss what actually happened there. It's a hell of an intro. I mean. That's dramatic in itself. And I recall the last time I spoke to you, you had to come through to our studios. You had to have um, bodyguards. There were security people all around because there were very genuine concerns around your safety. Um, I'm, I'm pleased that Julius Malema and, and, and all his, uh, his supporters and his friends and his sugar daddies, as you call them, are backing down on their threats because – I'm curious as to what exactly it was that he didn't want published. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but, but obviously there's a, there's a bark and no bite situation going on here, and he's probably less dangerous than he's ever been. A lot of people have seen through the, 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 the smoke and mirrors that Julius Malema has been orchestrating for the number of years that he's been in our public discourse. Before we get into that, though, if you don't mind, I want to just ask Canthon to explain to us what the hell is going on in the ANC. Uh, and and feel free to jump in here, uh, Jacques Pumi, at any given moment, because we may not have a president for very long. We may have to have Cyril repeat what has been the 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 the, the course of action for all of our presidents except Mandela in not completing their term, as Pumi put it earlier. Uh, Canton, 
<laughs> Please take the floor. You were you were WhatsApping us last night late. Tell us what the hell's happening. You mustn't be WhatsApping people that late on a Thursday. We must get ready to be here early in the morning. Please. You know, I have no time for you youngsters in your proclivities. <laughs> Go on, Canton. Tell us. You know, I, t- I tweeted yesterday before the report came out that essentially Ramaphosa was taking the Bart Simpson defense. And the Bart Simpson defense, you might remember, is I didn't do it. Nobody it saw me, me do it. You can't prove a thing. And that's essentially what, what he did. And I think a lot of people were of the view that uh, former Chief Justice Sandil Ngobo was going to uh, be soft on it because you might remember there was a statement from uh, the former chief justice saying that he was going to confine his report precisely to the terms that were defined um, by parliament and he was not going to venture outside of that and everyone turned around and said oh this means that the guy is basically captured mm. well it turns out that working within that very precise framework um the, uh, the team, and you know, I don't want to say that it was you know, just the, the former chief justice. There was, uh, uh, there was a team of three people and they went through a, a point by point analysis of all of the allegations that were leveled against the president. And ultimately what they came up with was that the guy had actually, um, <clears throat> uh, broken the, the code of conduct consistently. So, where does this leave us right now? Well, you see the difference in terms of what the, uh, the ANC has done in the past is that at the time that they removed Mbeki, for example, Mbeki was no longer president of the African National Congress, which meant that it was then very easy to then hold a, essentially a kangaroo court in parliament and, uh, uh, and then send a delegation to him and tell him, step down or we're going to recall you. Mm-hmm. And Mbeki then proceeded to step down. The difference, of course, that we have right now is that Parliament is packed with Cyril Ramaphosa's people. And so it's a very different scenario to the Nicholson judgment that led to uh, the removal of, uh, of Mbeki. It subsequently transpired that the Nicholson judgment was flawed, you might remember. Mm. But uh, by that time, the damage had been done and Mbeki had been ousted. The question right now is whether all of the people who have gone to bat for Ramaphosa this year, you know, who are sitting in parliament right now, are now going to stand up and say, well, you know, you've in fact broken uh, the rules of engagement and you need to be stepping down. My suspicion is that the ANC is not going to do that. And the reason why they're not going to do that is that they are all in parliament at Ramaphosa's behest. So, at that level, you know, this ends up being a, a clusterfuck of note. So, <laughs> <laughs> hell of a way to describe it. Uh, um, okay, but but executive summary. Just remember, okay, the uh, the the recommendation. Okay, the uh, the panel concluded that prima facie, the president may have committed a serious violation of sections ninety six two a, a serious violation of section thirty four one. Serious misconduct in the way the president violated section 90. You know, it just carries on, goes on. Mm-hmm. Section 92, section 90. Uh, 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 but serious misconduct, serious misconduct, serious misconduct. And so, you know, prima facie that he may have, of course, doesn't necessarily mean that he has. But he's got a case to answer to. But he has a case to mm-hmm. answer to. But, you know, just simply, you know, based on the evidence that was submitted, any reasonable person would draw the conclusion that uh, our president is uh, either A, incompetent, B, corrupt, or C, both. Hmm. Well, uh, any comments on this as it relates to, because you see a book like yours, Jacques, is is terrific, but the moment it's published, there's new information starting to come out the very next day. So when you see things like this, um, how, how does that look when you've spent such a long time putting together? And I have to say, this is fairly exhaustive. What I love about your book is that there are footnotes at the end that explain all of your sources that give absolutely no um, room for anybody to misquote you, to say that you've got false information, to say that you haven't checked your sources properly. I love a good book with footnotes, and you spend a, a, a large number of pages at the back making sure that people know what the details of all your 
allegations, your suspicions, your points of view here are. And, and, and it's, a, it's a real work. But when you look at what Cyril's going through at the moment, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, I think, I think what, is, what has happened yesterday is amongst others the, the results of the president um, who was not willing to, to take South Africa into his confidence and to tell them what had happened at Palapala. You know, the allegations were made in June. The president has still not explained it. Mm-hmm. He's given answers to the, to the, parliamentary, um, the parliamentary investigation, but that's as far as, as far as it goes. And I think this is once again an indictment of an exquisitely weak president, um, a president who has, um, who has put the welfare of the party before the welfare of the country. Um, and I think he's going to get weaker and weaker, whatever happens next. And we, we have to remember that, that the Chief Justice has merely said that, that he might have contravened the, the Constitution and other misdemeanors. That still has to be investigated. But Ramaphosa, over the past, past two, three years, um, has been an extremely weak president. He started all very well. We'll all remember that, that first year of the Ramaphosa presidency when he addressed the, the shortcomings in the law enforcement agencies. He fired Tom Wiani. Mm-hmm. He appointed a new um, um, national director of public prosecutions. He appointed a new head of the Hawks. He made changes at the State Security Agency, the SARS Commission, the panel that investigated the SSA. Um, so he started all very well. And then, and then he started putting the welfare of the ANC before the welfare of the country. And what we're sitting with today, whatever, whatever is going to happen in the next, well, in the next two weeks or in the next month or in the next three months, he's going to remain a very weak president because he's not been willing to act against people sitting in his cabinet who are useless. I mean, Becky <laughs> Kelly was failed commissioner of police. He has no moral authority to be the minister of police. People like Gwedi Montage, Lindiwe Sisulu. I mean, there's a long list of, long list of them. He hasn't, hasn't been willing and he hasn't been able to act against them. And he's a very, very weak president today. And I think we're going, we're going to see it in the, in the, in the weeks and the months to come. Whatever happens with this inquiry. Well, uh, let's get into your book because this is a really, really tough read because it, it really brings us face to face with how absolutely dis- disrupted, disgusting and, and messy our criminal justice system, among other things, are. But let's talk about the law enforcement agencies because you spend quite a lot of time here going into that. They haven't got to grips with serious and organized crime in this country. There are people getting away with blue murder. Um, our prisons are full of seemingly people who've been arrested for dealing in drugs or, you know, small uh, crimes uh, mm. that, that, you know, that, that ordinary people get arrested. If you, if you and I don't pay our taxes by 500 rand or 50 rand or even 50 cents, uh, SARS are on us like that. But it seems that if you're doing large-scale corruption and crime and fraud and all the really bad stuff, you kind of get a free pass in South Africa. And that's been the case for probably the last 10 years, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I started writing this book when, um, when a top policeman came to me and he spoke to me about what had happened with the Prasa investigation, which is in my book. Here is damning evidence coming from a series of forensic investigations about the looters of Prasa that were given to the Hawks in 2015 already by the then um, chairperson of Prasa, who was Popo Mulefi and a, heel, a real hero of, of the fight against state capture. Mm-hmm. So in 20, there, there was a series of investigations done by Treasury and done by several private forensic um, firms. They investigated two, uh, 213 contracts at Prasa. Only 13 were found to be above board. There were two big big contracts, the one for the for acquiring new local locomotives and the other one for security upgrades. The one was was um two was was three point five billion Rand. 
and the other one was was four and a half billion rand. That money is gone. That money has stolen. We know who the looters at Prasa is. We know the names. They've been mentioned at the at the State Capture Commission. That evidence, damning evidence, um, was given to the Hawks in 2015. Year after year after year, more evidence um, came forward as various high court judges set these contracts aside. And in every case, the court spoke about the corruption that was committed at Praza. Those investigations are gone. And I, I then started investigating what had happened to this evidence. Where is this evidence? And it's then, for example, that I discovered that the police general who was in charge of the Prasa investigations and who sabotaged this investigations during the Zuma years is now the head of organized crime at the Hawks. <laughs> his, sec his second in command, who was with him, um, is now the acting head of the Serious Economic Crimes Unit <laughs> at, at the Hawks. And it was absolutely shocking to discover how the how top policemen who were appointed during the Zuma years um, are still in the Hawks. They're still in crime in crime intelligence, and they now they're now clinging to their jobs not because they 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 believe in state capture, but they're now there for their pensions and their positions and their mm. salaries and and whatever. And if you look if you look at organized crime, you know <laughs> Treasury. Uh, a while ago, warned Ramaphosa that South Africa is on the brink of becoming a mafia state or a criminal state. There was a, a while ago, there was a very authoritative report by the, um, by, um, by an organization that specializes in, uh, in, in investigating organized crime. They, they, they came to the conclusion that South Africa now has the 18th most organized crime in the world. Yeah. There's 12 categories of organized crime. Um, four of them are stable. Eight of them are on the rise. We see it, and it's not just organized crime. Um, quarter after quarter after quarter, the minister of police take to the podium, and crime is going up and up and up. We have no, 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 no grip on crime. Absolutely nothing. Pums. And it's also a little bit of um, a lack of political will. You know, so I, I hear you say that Ramaphosa has been warned that people have made it out of the Zuma uh, years. They've moved sideways or upwards. Um, and, and what it really is about is it's also a level of needing to take what, the bull, the ankole by its horns, maybe, <laughs> on the part of our president, and, and make tough decisions. And it's not surprising that he continues to put his party before the country. He's said that, he's said as much in numerous interviews. So it, it, it can't surprise us that his actions, uh, actually, I mean, the man is, is consistent in his actions and he is honest with it, right? He said it before he became the president of South Africa yeah, hiding the and ball. he has continued yeah. and he has continued to act in exactly that way, right? And the lack of political will, because the truth of the matter is that it will also have a knock on effect on the party. When you make decisions that put people in prison, when you make decisions that tear apart those criminal syndicates, because they are so, it's so entrenched within the, the, the corridors of power. There are so many people linked to so many different people. You know, you talk about that Siangena contract at Prasa mm -hmm. and all of the, the top dogs that are related to it. Somebody else in the comments asked about Lindy Wesisulu. Is she clean of all of them? And my answer is, I don't think we can look at any one of the top brass of the ANC and say that they are clean. The easy answer is unlikely because we don't have the evidence yet. We have had, with every successive administration, some form of a commission to uncover the corruption that was done by the administration before. And it continues. We continue. The only way that we're going to be able to move out of the 
out of the rut that we're in is if we have a political change and that change has to be with individuals who have a political will to end not just the corruption, but also end the, the non, um, what's the word? Accounted, you know, people taking the lack of accountability, accountability, yeah. right? But it's got to be at the political level. It's got to be at a political level well, before it will trickle down. I, I agree. I mean, if you, if you look at the evidence at the State Capture Commission, there was, there was clear evidence, for example, implicating a cabinet minister like Wedi Montage in, uh, in corruption, mm. a senior ANC member like Nomvolo Mokunyane. Nothing has happened. Where's the investigations? Nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing has happened. Not only is Gwedi Montage the king of coal in this country, he also has a sword hanging over his head. What does it tell? What does it tell other politicians, other members of parla- uh, other members of the cabinet, members of parliament? You can get away with it. Right. There's no but what does it tell the policeman on the street? And the ordinary. What does it tell the policeman the on ordinary the street citizen? that I mean, they can yeah. get away with it? You know, the ordinary South African citizen is looking at this, going, "Well, if all of those guys are getting away with it, why the hell should I be yeah. honest? Why should I do all the right things? And why should I follow the law?" Canthan, uh, yeah. you've you've also been banging this drum for a long time, um, and and I know that you guys might have had sight of of Jacques' book already. Uh, by the way, Jacques, I just love the way you refer to process the Prasa Nostra and and I want to ask you about Lucky Montana just now but Canton I mean you've got lots of questions around who these organized criminals are who are these people who are these yeah I, I, I guess you, you know I, I was taking a look at at kind of the tail end of, of, of what Jacques had to say you know we, we you know and he talks about what happens when Jacob Zuma was pushed out and um, and and the range of things that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa ended up doing at uh, at the time. Um, so you know, just taking a look at you know, he spoke about Arthur Fraser going. Now it turns out that Arthur Fraser was in fact the person that's directly responsible for exposing Ramaphosa's potential yeah. corruption. So you know, Arthur Fraser going is not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, we've got uh, Moyane being fired and Kizweta being appointed in uh, in his space. Now it's become very clear that SARS is still very selective in terms of who it ends up um, persecuting uh, in terms of uh, of tax liabilities. You, you still have not had any of the lifestyle audits taking place for any members of Ramaphosa's government, which uh, was something um, uh, that, that should have happened. Um, <clears throat> you know, Sean Abrams went, yeah, that's cool. But And, uh, you know, Shamila Batoy comes in as head of the NPA. But, hey, how, how long have we been talking about the lack of prosecutions under Shamila Batoy, you know, for a Absolutely. few years now. You, you know, so, I, you know, I, so, so, but uh, Jacques, you know, the, the point that I'm trying to get to get to out here is there's nothing wrong with what you've been saying in terms of, you know, actually addressing all of the corruption that took place under the Zuma regime. But I think that, you know, the idea that there's an inherent goodness to Ramaphosa <laughs> that is absent in Jacob Zuma, I think that that's, you know, uh, fundamentally flawed. I, I, I think that the ANC as a whole actually has this so deeply ingrained. And the reason why, Jacques, I think that he's not doing things like getting rid of Gwede Mantashe, getting rid of uh, Lindy Wessesulu, is it goes back to the small Nyana skeletons that we were talking about years ago, Pumi. What do you think? Absolutely. We, 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 are talking, we are talking about a culture that has, that has taken root in the, in the ANC. And it's not a Zuma culture. It's an ANC culture mm-hmm. that you can get away with, with anything. Um, for the sake of unity of the party, Ramaphosa is prepared to excuse anything. Um, he hasn't, I mean, it's very important. He hasn't ordered the lifestyle investigations into his cabinet that he said he would do. Um, you know, if you, if you think when he came to power, he said he's going to, He's going to appoint a lean and mean cabinet. He's going to get rid of all the fat around him. <laughs> Nothing like that has ever happened. Um, you know, even the underperformers remain. Even the underperformers no, no, absolutely. Every, everybody remains. I mean, I think you can do virtually anything, and you can stay a minister in the in the cabinet. <laughs> uh, 
top performers are treated like lower, like the low level performers. I mean, it's all Who's the top performer, absolutely fun. Who would be a top performer try, in your book? I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to think. Um, it might take I, us I, away. I don't, I don't. Definitely not the the deputy president. Um, I don't know. You okay. Don't know. All right, let, let me ask you, about, let me mean, ask you mean, about the the organized criminals because these are the guys who are, operate outside of political structures but influence them heavily. And where the money goes is, I think, what a lot of people are interested in. Who are who are the most dangerous people in South Africa, and 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 how much influence do they have on the politicians? Well, you know, you it's very difficult to be a successful organized criminal without having links to the state, having links to the, to the law enforcement agencies. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you think about, for example, the, the, the looters of Prasa, and we know them, um, Mabunda, um, Mashaba, uh, Roy Moodley, Ferreira, we, all, we, we know who they are. There was evidence against them at the, at the State Capture Commission. They all had, they all had political links in Prasa. Just like the looters of Transnet and the looters of ESCOM had political links in government. And that's, that's why it was, it was so easy for the looters of Prasa, for example, to siphon off the hundreds of millions of rand that went missing. I mean, as an example, you know, the, the 2.8 billion rand, for example, were paid out for the, for the locomotives, 70 mm -hmm. new locomotives for Prasa. We received 30 locomotives who were too tall. They're useless. Where's the, where's the rest of the money? It's absolutely gone. The, one of the main looters, Mr. Ashwell Mashaba, the businessman, is so arrogant that not only did he acquire, for example, um, a five-star lodge in Limpopo, an award-winning lodge where he cost like 13,000 rand per person per night. He even named the lodge after himself. He didn't even try to hide his money. It's called A.M. Lodge after his, after his initials, Ashwa Mashaba. You know, this is, this is how arrogant these people are. They don't even try to hide their money, and there's absolutely no case against it. And it's the case with lots of organized criminals. But what we also don't talk about, and because you use the Prasa example, and, and so much has been written about it and big ups to people like Ground Up who have never mm -hmm. given up on that story and mm -hmm. kind of staying yeah. with it. What we Absolutely. also don't talk about is we don't talk about how successive, uh, what they call accounting authorities or boards come into that environment and every one of them tries, walks in, like like parading heroes, like they're going to try and fix the situation. But actually, all that they're there to do is paper over the crack and make the public feel like there's going to be a change. And what happens on the underneath is they continue trying to to further this looting. I mean, you talk about the two yeah. tall trains and, and the Siangena thing for me is so irritating at every level, because, you know, you have a, a Judge Makubela, for instance, comes in, becomes the chairperson of Prasa, and the first thing that she gets there and does is try and push through this payment, even though there is a court judgment that says this was incorrectly Absolutely. awarded and that this money should be recovered by Prasa. She cannot do that because of amazing civil servants within the organization and whistleblowers yeah. who keep fighting back. Yeah. And because she can't get the job done, she is pushed aside and her entire board is pushed aside. A brand new board is brought in and they're, mm -hmm. we're told that they're going to clean up the mess. And what do they do? They victimize the whistleblowers. They yes. put them, you know, they victimize the whistleblowers. They put them on suspensions. All sorts of illegalities happen and they try and push through this payment, which is what, what political connectivity does for you. Absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a very good example you mentioned because the current head of the, of the board at Prasa is Mr. Leonard um, Ramatlakana, who is a, an, an, an ANC, an, a deployed ANC cadre. He was, among others, the, the chairperson of the, of the um, parliamentary committee on transport 
<laughs> yeah. He was there during the during the years of looting. He was also on the on the police standing committee, where he played a major role to get rid of um, to get rid of Robert McBride. He was then the head of IPED because he was investigating the commission of police. And it just seems that that cater deployment, who's been so, that's Ramana, been so devastating. Board yeah. get there and trumped up charges. There's a new CEO at Prasa. They've had yeah. a new CEO almost every year. Every time the, yeah. there's a board change, there's a new CEO. Yeah. Charges that for some reason, this particular and, you know, and Matthews, suddenly we find out that Matthews actually has a dual citizenship and yes. therefore he cannot hold a senior position in what? what? Did they not know this before he was given the job? No, because because he wasn't vetted proper properly because of the but because of what's going on at the state security agency as well. This is the point, right? So now he is pushed aside, and now yes. if he's not vetted properly, who else is not vetted properly? It and is, this it, is how it, deep it goes. It is. It's almost as though Prasai is being set up again to be looted at some point. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Catherine, but you, there would need to be a cash injection first. <laughs> <laughs> Which gets well, signed I mean, off at Treasury. Well, uh, well, I mean, if you if you look at the amount of money that's been set aside for um, for rebuilding Prasa, you know, remember it was supposed to have been rebuilt by Lucky Montana and mm. people following him. Now they're going to now they're going to attempt to to rejuvenate Prasa once again. So you are, you are talking about massive, massive contracts. And I think we have to keep a very close eye on what, what is going to happen there. Same with Transnet. Same with, to a certain extent, with ESCOM. You know, the state-owned enterprises remain... I mean, they're there. They're there for the taking. You know, the, our, our checks and balances are not always good enough. The parliamentary committees are not doing their job. That's why Judge Zondo said the other day that he's not sure that if state capture happens again, that uh, that Parliament would be able to prevent it. Canton, uh, you you took a train this week, though. I mean, <laughs> no, I did, I did not. I did not get on the train. I did not get on the train. I just shared the video with you, and yeah, eff- effectively, this is um, the f- uh, the first of the metro rail uh, trains that are running between. Uh, Soweto and Park Station in, in Johannesburg. The, and, uh, the blue trains. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yes. And they're look, beautiful. Eight, yeah, they're, 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 they're beautiful. 8 rand 50, yeah. uh, uh, to get from, uh, Soweto through to Johannesburg. And that, I think that's brilliant. The question, yeah. of course, is how long they're going to be running. And, uh, before, uh, you know, and a range of things end up happening. We saw this happening more than 20 years ago. You might remember that Ooh. the first thing that happened was that the taxi drivers would actually <clears throat> fling the conductors from moving trains and murder them. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a direct result of the fact that funding had been uh, pulled for, uh, railway police, which had existed, you know, going back into the dark days of apartheid. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's one of these things where it, it's one also step forward. the security forward. contract is still, the security contract at Prasa and Metro Rail is still <laughs> under contestation. So yeah. I'm sure that's in your book too. Hey, Jacques. Yeah. A judge, has, a judge has to decide how much work was really done. We don't know how long it's, it's going to take, but you know, I just want to say, you also have to feel for Prasa. I mean, they, they're in such a difficult position. You know, they, as you say, they open lines and, you know, and then, you know, there's a security breakdown. Um, if you think about the central line in Cape Town, for example, where people now live on the rails, you mm-hmm. know, how do you get rid of them? What do you, what do you do? They are in a terrible, terrible situation. Um, but it is, it is absolutely vital that we restore, especially Metro Rail. You know, you have to provide safe and cheap transport for people to get from their places of work to their, to their homes. I mean, it's, it's ironic to think that just 12 years ago when we had the Soccer World Cup, remember how brilliant Metro Rail was then? We built new stations, we built new lines, and they performed brilliantly 12 years ago. 
What's yes, but that? that's we, we we had outsourced our country to FIFA at the time. Remember, we literally suspended <laughs> rule of law in our constitution sure. Yeah. Sure. In, in order to ride roughshod <laughs> over the rights of... Now people are, are staying on, on those lines and you you have a fundamentally uh, liberal court that says, actually, you need to provide alternative housing yeah. before we can clear the railway tracks for the benefit yeah. of the populace. So, so it's, it's, it's yeah. you know, we need to outsource our state security um, uh, to Rwanda, for starters. We need to outsource. <laughs> uh, we could go on. But, Jacques, I, I just want to make a point. I don't feel for Prasa at all because I, a, a particular drum I've been beating on for years, Prasa needs to be broken up. All of the metro rail services needed need to be handed over to yeah. the local authorities. So I want the city of sure. Cape Town to actually Cape be Town's responsible. Yeah, Absolutely. to be running it, and, yeah. and they will do a, a much better job yeah. on it. Like, like it happens around, around the world. Absolutely. And, and yeah. uh, really all you need then is for Transnet to be a provider of the rail infrastructure, yeah. and everyone else actually makes use of that infrastructure. Um, it's this entire idea of centralized authority with the ANC mm. government, yeah. which is, is and, a disaster. And, and Police can I, thing. And can I also say that, like, here's a very good question from Stink Mina, which I'd love you to uh-huh. attempt to answer. Every SOE is collapsing, but nobody asks how Pravin still has a job. Mm. Absolutely. And I think you it speak- is... It's it's absolutely valid. You know, there was a stage when when Praveen Gordon stood up against uh, stood up against Jacob Zuma, and he was kind of, when they when when Zuma tried to prosecute him, he was he became he became a hero of the of the anti Zuma function faction. But it is very difficult to to understand why why he still has a job. I mean, yeah. with the state and enterprises doing so absolutely dismally, each and every one of them. Listen, no, he's he's selling SAA without opening up the books, uh, yeah. so nobody really knows about that transaction and how that transaction is going to go. Yeah. And the same thing is now happening at Eskom. You know, they have still not uh, produced their financials for the past two years to the authority down in Parliament, and very soon I think we're going to hear that it is also being sold for fifty-one rand. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, but nobody. But hey, Pravin is a hero. He oh, was well, I mean, this the leader is, I, of I, I the anti-Zuma he, function. He's made of like Teflon or something. But but Jacques, <laughs> your book, uh, if nothing else, is fascinating to me because you are interspersing between you know paragraphs of real information and 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 storytelling and kind of laying out the facts. You're also um, you're you're putting tweets in there. Which is probably a first. I mean, we, we yes, in fact, in fact, Twitter probably needs to get fifty percent of the credit for the book, John, because <laughs> yeah. you, you know, know you, you, tweets pop you, up every you, every now you know, and then. You, you know why I did it, and some <laughs> some people love it, and some people hate it. And I'm not a tweeter myself. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I never use it. Is that there was a time when when people said that newspapers are the first draft of history. Mm-hmm. Now, sort of like social media has almost become the, the first the first draft of, of history. But I think what what why I use the Twitters it number one it gave me an opportunity to credit my sources. So instead of saying News Twenty Four said that, right? You have a tweet from News Twenty Four, and then you've credited your source. Right. One of the reasons why, and the second thing is is that you don't always then have, need a paragraph to explain something. Um, you know, um, mm. you, you, use, you use the tweet that came out that day. And that's why I use Twitter. But, I'm, you know, I'm not saying it's a, it was clever or not. You know, I <laughs> decided to use Twitter because it's different as well. You know, you know, you know how difficult it is to write a current affairs book. Mm. You know, pe- people hardly read a 2,000-word article in Daily Maverick. It's too much. People write 2,000-word articles? Yeah, in Daily Maverick. That's the only place. Anyway, so now you write, now, now you write a book of 350,000 words. I mean, how do you get people to read this book? You have to make it interesting. You have to make it different. You have to mm-hmm. tell stories in between. And that's, that's why I use the tweets. Well, I'm, I, I certainly wasn't criticizing it. I find it quite refreshing, and I think it's a, it's a novel, here, novel yes. direction to, to take things in. Um, your, your one chapter I is... I have a question. Yes, yeah, sorry, Pums, go ahead. I, I have a question. When, when, you're, uh, 
researching and writing a book of this nature because current affairs is shifting so quickly mm. how do you decide what to leave out okay this this was an absolute yeah. nightmare because the the book was supposed to come out in may and then judge zondo started postponing his final reports and i had to wait for the final report on the state security agency in prasa which was towards the end mm. and he started keeping postponing 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 the book was supposed to come out out in may and that's why it only came out in beginning of of november but that also left me with the fact that some of the stuff i had written earlier like a year and a half ago was not current anymore so i had mm. to re- rewrite lots of chapters some chapters i just threw out you know the question of becky kelly for example throughout writing this book i always had a feeling that ramaphosa might actually do the right thing and fire him <laughs> i write a lot about becky kelly and if he was fired what would i have done with all the information about <laughs> becky kelly it suddenly it suddenly becomes irrelevant yeah. so it's a nightmare to write a book like this mm. Well, I mean, you've got a couple of interesting chapters. I suggest that the chapter which Julius Malema was most keen to have um, excised from your book is Simba and Pumba, which is hilarious. I mean, they're obviously the two characters from The Lion King, and and it, it, it's it's fairly evident to anyone who reads it that you're talking about Mazzotti and, and uh, Malema there. Uh, what is the nature of their relationship, and what have you discovered, and, and what has been, if there are any updates since you, you put that chapter together, on, on just how blatant and obvious their relationship is and, and how, how, you know, one of them is being used and thinks they're not. Well, you know, just, <laughs> just to start with, um, the fact that Malema lives from the handouts of others or that he gets hand, handouts from others are not new. I mean, we all remember the, the on-point Wangwa episode in the Limpopo province. The cutting of Limpopo. Yes, you mean absolutely. the cutting of Limpopo? Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's been the VBS bank where, <laughs> where 1.89 billion rand was stolen by executives. 16.5 million rand found its way to Brian Shivambu, um, Floyd's brother. Another 5 million rand in, in unlawful loans went to Brian Shivambu. And from there, he dispersed it to, 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 to Floyd Shivambu, Julius Malema and the EFF. So, so the fact that Malema gets handouts from other people is nothing new. The relationship between Malema and Mazzotti started when he was already, when he was, when he was the, the ANC Youth League leader. So it goes, it goes back more than a decade. Mazzotti has, for example, admitted that he paid 200,000 rand in 2014 towards the registration of the EFF for the general election. Afterwards, um, uh, Carnelings, that's Mazzotti's cigarette company, a director of Carnelings gave, um, gave Malema a loan to a million rand loan to repay some of his SARS debt. So they've been having this relationship for quite, for quite some time. There's nothing new about it. The problem is, among others, that Mazzotti is a self-confessed criminal. He made, he was in, Terrible problems with SARS in 2014. They wanted around 600 million rand from him and Carnelinks or from Carnelinks. Mm-hmm. He then, in an effort to make a deal with SARS, he, he made an affidavit in which he admitted that he is a cigarette smuggler, that he's committed fraud, that he's committed bribery, that he's attempted to bribe top executives in SARS. That he uses money to entertain politicians, etc., etc., etc. So Mazzotti is not clean, and I produce other evidence in the book about his his criminal activities. So Mazzotti is not clean. It's not the kind of person that the leader of the second biggest opposition party should be in bed with. And then I received the information from two former employees of Mazzotti that witnessed the, the relationship between them, that witnessed um, money-changing hands, that witnessed the, the botched parties that happened in Mazzotti's secret apartment in, in, in Santon. Mm. 
And it is, I say once again, it is very, I think it's very significant that Malema on day one of the book coming out made a hell of a noise about it. So did Mazzotti. And then Malema threats ordered us to remove the book from the shelves. Then he threatened with legal action and absolutely nothing <laughs> has happened. And there is no doubt that there is a coordinated strategy to ignore the allegations and hopefully they will go away. I think. <laughs> well, we, you know oh, what? no. The, the wishful thinking that we indulge in as South Africans. Yeah. You, <laughs> Gotta you know, love it. All right. I mean, what, Guys, what can, is can, I, can I just also, quickly, sorry, Pums, I want to throw this in. Yes, you go. Because I, I feel like a lot of people are on the page that, that some of our listeners are on where they, they make the default assumption that this government is just incompetent and that the state is collapsing because of mistakes or, or incompetence or bad people in bad position in, in the, in the right positions, et cetera, et cetera. As opposed to this being part of the plan, maybe the ANC is doing this on purpose. Maybe their purpose is to liquidate the country and it's all intentional. Is that not a possibility? I, I think hell, it is. It's a, a hell of a conspiracy. It's a hell of a conspiracy theory. Um, well, in fact, Jacques, I, I just need to point out in the conclusion of your book, you know, one yeah. one of the things, uh, because you know, you you clearly are uh, a shell for the renewable energies project, and and more power to you because I certainly want a cleaner <laughs> environment as well. But uh, if you take that as the case in point, ask yourself who is going to benefit from the collapse of ESCOM and this quest for renewables. And ask yourself, who are the owners of nearly all of those IPP contracts and yeah. into which camp they end up falling? So, yeah. in fact, what we end up doing is because we go down this path of saying the ANC is corrupt, everything is collapsing, and we need to uh, to privatize and bring in all of this stuff. And guess what? The, uh, the beneficiaries of exactly those processes are going to be, again, shadowy as, you know, case of the privatization of SAA is a very good example. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but, you know, ultimately it's about the private sector is going to come to the rescue, and we know it's nothing of the sort. Same thing in terms of uh, ESCOM and the independent power producers. Private sector is going to come to the rescue. Again, nothing of that sort is going to happen. I think we end up being our own worst enemies in this case because we have this belief that uh, we put all of our faith in the the fact that a particular faction is bad. In this case, it was the Zuma regime, yeah, the other which led good. to the collapse of ESCOM, led to the collapse of PRASA, led to the collapse of SAA, and so forth. Let's now swing around. Let's bring in um, uh, saviors, great white saviors in most cases. Uh, Andre Dureta being uh, you know the sole uh, um, champion that's uh, that's leading the charge right now. And and guess what? things actually still continue to go worse. And uh, until we get to the point where we, we, we stop trying to separate this idea that they're good guys and bad guys, I don't think we're going to get anywhere. They're all bad guys. I mean, we haven't even started talking about the state visit to the UK. How, I mean, do you think that was just a coincidence that, you know, Prince Charles just has such an affinity to South Africa that mm -hmm. that's the first state visit that he would want. How much time do you think was devoted talking about the NHI and selling that entire concept to us? Hmm? Well, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, and I think the, the, the core problem is bad political appointments in virtually each and every portfolio in government and cabinet. And unless we're going to appoint people who can actually make a difference, very little, very little is going to change. We can't, we can't continue with Gordon as the Minister of State-Owned Enterprises. We can't continue with Gwedi Montage as the Minister of Energy. We need, we need efficient, we need efficient decision makers in crucial positions. Can't continue with Becky Kelly as the Minister of Police. He's too tainted. And you can go down the list. I mean, I can virtually mention and name all of them. We need efficient political appointments, people that can make decisions. But yeah. who's there? Can I toss in some <laughs> predictions at this point, Gareth? We've only got a couple of minutes left. Go for it. <clears throat> okay, so I think that the next thing that's going to happen in this Ramaphosa saga is 
um, we are going to have um, uh, a recall, but the recall is not going to be of Ramaphosa. The recall is going to be of Didi Mabuza. Hmm. And Didi Mabuza is going to be recalled, and Paul Mashatile is going to become the deputy president of the country. And the, and, and the, and the kingmaker and the successor. Absolutely. absolutely I agree ab- with you. Absolutely. So I, yeah. I think that that, um, so if we watch <laughs> this, watch this play out over the next period, yeah. um, that, that's my call in terms of what's going to happen, Gareth. <laughs> Look at Gareth's voice. Do you see Gareth White last night? Why, why well, I said the text? Why I said the WhatsApp last night to the group to say, listen, I'm going to bed and I'm just going to watch this thing play out. Well, and on Monday, Paul Mashadilo will be the president. Well, it, I mean, that's well, do you, do you think, do you think Parliament <laughs> will vote in favor of a full scale parliamentary investigation or inquiry? No. 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 Will they will they protect Ramaphosa to that extent? Yes. On the sixth of December, and if if the DA gets what they want, where they have a roll call vote, which is what they have written to the speaker to mm. ask for, where each individual is called up by name and they yes. have to say yes or no. Yeah. On the sixth of December, four days is it four days before they go into their conference? Mm-hmm. You yeah. are not going to have those parliamentarians standing up against the strongest candidate for the ANC leadership. They are not going to do it. So we're not going to have that vote going against Ramaphosa. We're not going going to have a parliamentary inquiry. No, we are not going to have a parliamentary inquiry. We're going to go into the next uh, election cycle of the ANC and Ramaphosa is going to be very strong. There's going to be a lot of haggling over there. But I think the person who is most likely to come out the winner is Paul Mashadil. All right. Look, look, frankly, at this point, we don't need a parliamentary inquiry, guys. Actually, what we need is a criminal investigation that's been conducted okay, by, so, by the so, police. So, yes. Jacques, I mean, and hopefully Shabila will take it to court. Is I cannot, <laughs> I cannot suggest in, in any stronger terms that if you're going to do some reading, it's not exactly pleasant reading if you happen to be on holiday, but it's stuff you need to know. We need to be an informed citizenry. We need to know what actually happened in the last few years in South Africa and exactly how twisted and poisoned everything is. Jacques Poe's book is called Our Poisoned Land, Living in the Shadow of Zuma's Keepers. Um, before we let you go though, Jacques, I mean, it wouldn't be right if Canton gets to make a prediction. Do you have any predictions? Uh, for the next couple of weeks and anything that uh, that you'd like to throw in there as an addendum to the book before we say goodbye to you? I, I, actually, I actually agree with him. I think it would be incredibly brave of the ANC to vote in favor of a, 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 a full-scale parliamentary inquiry. I don't think that's, that's going to happen. I, however, do not agree that Ramaphosa is going to emerge stronger. Although he will be re-elected with Paul Mashatile as his deputy, I don't think he's going to emerge very strong. And I think we are going to see Mashatile as the president before um, Ramaphosa's second term Hmm. expires. Uh, is anyone going to be arrested is all we seem to ask time after time. And, 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 and is Shamila Batoy actually going to have the cheek to take a state pension when she eventually vacates her office that she's done nothing in? <laughs> There's so many other questions. Jacques, congratulations on the book. Um, I'm thrilled that you could Thank be you so with much. us on the show this morning. And uh, again, just read this over the holidays, even if it gives you a headache. Absolutely. And, and just remember that there are two Jacques Poe's, as Jacques points out. <laughs> yes. yes, correct. Uh, Canton, thank, thank you, you guys. And Pumi, and we'll see you guys soon. Jacques, have a lovely holiday. Cliffcentral.com.